Uh, we need the God of hope so desperately right now. And I want to remind you also that we've put out the 40 days of prayer. And every day at noon, I've been asking you to set an alarm and pray either individually or with your family, if that's possible, or whomever you may be with. And if you're solo right now, just look to the Lord. And uh, we have several things to think about there. Repent and restore and revive and rejoice and relax. And there's scriptures that you can meditate on that will help uh, navigate your prayer. And if ever we needed to pray, brothers and sisters, it's now. Um, This world, our country, um, thinking about just the situation that we're in right now, um, we need to come back to God. And I believe that God is using this time to call many back home And one of my prayers is that he'll call our country back home. So speaking of prayer, before we jump into the word, I hope you've got Psalm 91 in front of you. If you have your Bible or device in front of you, I'm going to read the psalm. Let's read it and then we'll pray and we'll pray over our country and the world and everything that's going on. This song hopefully will be medicine for your soul, Psalm 91. I'm going to read the entire psalm, we'll pray and then we'll break it down. The psalmist writes, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. It is He who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. Verse 4. He will cover you with His pinions, and under His wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence, verse 6, that stalks in darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Because he has loved me, verse 14, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, and I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Father, we are here before you on this great Lord's Day, coming uh, before your holy throne, your throne of grace, Jesus, that you invite us to to find help in time of need. And there is maybe more need than many of us have ever seen in our lifetime in this day. Need for healing, need for repentance, need for restoration. Father, I want to ask that you would forgive this world, our nation, for the ways in which we've taken so many blessings for granted, for the the ways in which we thought maybe we even deserved our prosperity. I know that in times of prosperity, Israel had a tendency to forget you, and we can forget you often with the busyness of life and the things that can crowd you out. And now so many things have been stripped away, and this is such a great time to say, Lord God, if if those things were getting in the way of putting you first, if I have left my first love, oh God, I want to come back. I want to come back to that place where you are my first love, your kingdom, and your glory. The only thing that, was, that will really last, the only thing that is really sure in this world and the world to come is you and your kingdom. And I can find hope and rest in you. And I pray that as we study this Psalm 91 that you would be honored. I pray that any of us who have hesitated in sharing the good news of the gospel or in any way been ashamed of the gospel would repent of that as well. That we would not be ashamed of the heritage of this country, the founding principles, but really the bedrock of all society. All hope is found in Christ. 
All other ground, as we said last time, is sinking sand. So Lord, would you be honored? Would you draw all people to yourself? Would every person who watches this, whether it's right now or in the days to come, turn their hearts toward you and help me, Lord, to do the same? In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said, amen. <laughs> Finding peace in troubled times. You may notice that the uh, top of the psalm, there's no author listed. And we don't know who the author of this psalm is, nor do we really know the time frame of the psalm, but we have some educated speculation. Some say that because Psalm 90 was authored by Moses, that Psalm 91 is also by the pen of Moses. We don't know that for sure, but there's been some conjecture that if you had a psalm before that had a named author, perhaps if it was unnamed in the next psalm, it might be the same author just carrying forward. We're not sure. We can't be dogmatic on that. But it may well be Moses. And there are some who have looked at this psalm and the content and references of the psalm and believe that it may reflect the wilderness wanderings of the people of Israel and some of the protection uh, promises that they were given. Uh, many also believe, or at least some believe, that this uh, psalm setting is the night of the Passover, when God had made a distinction between Egypt and Israel, between the people of Egypt who were not under the blood, if you will, and the people of Israel in Goshen who had the blood on their doors. And when the plagues came in like a flood, one after the other, then the final plague of the death of the firstborn, it did not touch the people of Israel because they were under the blood. And there is, under the blood of the Lamb, and there is a precedent here, a thing to connect in your thinking that moves all the way to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus. And it's this, that those of us who are in Christ, those of us who are under the blood, those of us who have been justified by faith through God's grace, well, what we have is promises that will take us all the way into eternity. And so we don't have to fear. Psalm 91 uh, is, a, is a precious psalm, and it's a psalm that you could say can be applied to every generation. Uh, the whole collection says Spurgeon of psalms, there is not a more cheering psalm. A German theologian was wont to speak, says Spurgeon, of it as the best preservative in time of cholera or time of disease. And in truth, it is a heavenly medicine against plague and pest. He can live in its spirit. He who can live in its spirit will be fearless, close quote. I was listening to Dr. Sinclair Ferguson, and he was talking about Psalm 91, and he said these words, the healthy fear of the Lord can squash all other fears in your life. Hear that again. The healthy fear of the Lord, because we know the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if you have a fear of the Lord, that fear, that healthy fear of God, that reverential awe of God can squash all your other fears. And you may be afraid right now. We're, we're all having times when maybe we're waking up in the middle of the night, maybe we're thinking about all the what-ifs and all the unanswered questions. Some of you have lost your job, you've been laid off, you're there's questions about your company, and some of you are thinking about, man, how do I pay my bills? And we want to reiterate that the church is here to pray for you and be here for you. And I want to thank you for those of you who have written notes of encouragement and those of you who continue to faithfully give to this ministry. We're in this together, and even though this is a strange time and, and we're not together, uh, we are together. We're one body with one heart. And I do want to say that I do miss you and I love you. I miss your beautiful smiling faces. And I know I speak on behalf of the staff and uh, the pastors and elders that they would say the same. There are many that believe that Psalm 91 is a messianic psalm where Psalm 90 was kind of a psalm of death. And if you've uh, studied that psalm before, you can just go back and just look at a few of the verses. Look at verse 10. It says, as for the day, Psalm 90, verse 10 of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, and for soon uh, it is gone and we fly away. Psalm 90, verse 11. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? 
So teach us, says Moses, to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. As I studied this passage, uh, some of the commentators were saying that if you think about the life of Moses, Moses watched a ton of people die in the wilderness. Moses didn't even enter the promised land, and the generation that were 20 and up all were laid low in the wilderness. You can look at 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 through 13. They were all laid low. So Moses saw a lot of people die. A lot of his friends, there were a lot of funerals, there were a lot of times of mourning. And not even Moses entered in the promised land. Of that generation, 20 and above, only Joshua and Caleb, two men that the Bible says on several occasions were the ones that followed the Lord fully. And some have said that if you really want to appreciate Psalm 91, if you want to find that secret place under the shadow, the wings of the Most High, it's found in those who follow the Lord fully. The peace that this psalm talks about. The protection, if you will, is found for those who follow the Lord fully. So I want to encourage you that this is something that I've been thinking about in my own personal walk is how closely have I been following the Lord? You know, this has driven me to get as close as I can. And, and sometimes I don't feel like I'm in that secret place just like you. I don't feel like maybe I'm as close as I should be. But this psalm describes the peace and comfort of that person who's found that refuge in the Lord. One more thing before we jump in. This is a psalm we should be praying over one another, over the churches in the Inland Empire, and for that matter, the whole United States, praying over our families. And I want to encourage you to spend some time praying Psalm 91 over people that you love and ask the Lord to apply it to them. The psalm begins this way. He who dwells in the secret place or in the shelter, the secret place is in the New King James and King James in the shelter or secret place of the Most High will abide. That word means lodge or rest, NIV, or find rest, NLT, New Living, in the shadow of the Almighty. He who dwells or abides. This speaks of a place that you decide to live. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. The word abide means to stay close. So if you think about it, this is where we find this place of refuge when we stay close to the Lord. It is the, the uh, shelter, this word shelter speaks of a, a place of safety. If you think of a shelter, maybe if it was hailing or raining hard or something of that nature, maybe some inclement weather, you'd find a place of shelter. This is the shelter of Shaddai or El Shaddai, literally. It's the shelter of the Almighty, the most powerful one. It is the shelter of the Most High. When the Bible uses the idea of the Most High, it is saying that God is most high above, of course, everything that's created, but he's most high above all other gods. You can see that in several of the Psalms. He is the Most High God. And when Israel got in trouble in their days of prosperity and their days of idolatry, when they forgot about God, they went and worshipped false gods with a small g on high places. And they found what we might call false shelters or pseudo-shelters. They, they all of a sudden got intoxicated with the idols of the nations around them, something that God warned them about. And they would go and burn incense on the high places, and they would, they would try to find blessings and refuge in false gods. See, this shelter that we're talking about in Psalm 91, verse 1, is the shelter of the Most High God, the true and the living God. It is the shadow of the Almighty. It is the shadow of El Shaddai. No other place can provide what this is saying. No other God, because all the gods of the nations are idols. Only the true God can give you this shadow. For a nation that was if the wilderness wanderings are the setting for the psalm uh, in the ancient world, if it was a hot day, especially if you were in the hot desert, a shadow could be life-giving. Many of us maybe can remember times when we were at a park or a ball game 
and uh, it was 95 or 100 degrees, or sometimes 105, 110 in Corona, and everybody was fighting for that little place of shade under a tree. Well, this is how a, a place of a shadow or shade can really be life-saving, and that's, that's the message here. The shadow of the Almighty can be life-saving. It can be medicinal. In Psalm 90, uh, Moses said, Lord, verse 1, you have been a dwelling place, our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born or thou did give birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. We used to sing a chorus song back in the day that said, you have been a shelter, O Lord, to every generation to every generation. But in order to find that place of shelter, you've got to seek it. It's not an automatic. If you're going to find that place underneath the shadow or the shelter of El Shaddai, you've got to go there. You've got to make a move. You've got to find that place. This is a place of strategic comfort. It's a place of peace. In John 16, Jesus said, In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. There's such a thing as a pseudo-peace, a circumstantial peace, a peace that will not last, a peace that is connected to false gods, the created thing rather than the creator, as Romans 1 says. And it's time that we ran back to a true shelter, a shelter that can really provide what we need from the storm. In Psalm 78, it says of the people of Israel that they provoked God with their high places. Psalm 78, 58 through 60. And aroused his jealousy with their graven images. When God heard, he was filled with wrath and greatly abhorred Israel, so that he abandoned the dwelling place at Shiloh, the tent which he had pitched among men. And then I want you to look at Psalm 96 for a second just to kind of reinforce this point that we need the true shelter and not false ones. It says in Psalm 96 verse 5, For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Notice the contrast. In verse 4 it says, For great is the Lord, greatly to, to be praised. He is to be feared above, notice, all gods. Splendor and majesty, verse 6, Psalm 96, are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the, to the, Lord, the glory of his name. Bring an offering. Come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him, all the earth. It is God alone, if you turn back to Psalm 91, who can give us this place of rest. I think of Martha and Mary in Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. We remember that Martha was running around, and, and when Jesus spoke to her after she said, Lord, tell my sister to come and help me, he said, he said Martha, you're worried and, and frazzled, loose translation, about so many things. But Mary has found the most important thing, that place, if you will, at the feet of El Shaddai at the feet of the Savior. And Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet and drinking in his word. And we can see the contrast between a Martha and Mary under the same roof. The same Jesus is there. Mary had chosen the better part. Martha was still frazzled and worried about so many things. And I know that this is a tough time. But Mary had made a decision amidst it all to find her shelter at the feet of Jesus Christ. This is where you're going to find true hope. And this is a place where I would ask you, if you feel like you've left your true first love, and you can read Revelation 2, 1 through 5, get back to his feet. It's just one simple step, really. Get your Bible before you put on some praise music and find that place of refuge. Verse 2, Psalm 91 says, I will say to the Lord, that's Yahweh, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. 
I will say, and we need to say it out loud, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, Psalm 107, verse 2. If you confess with your mouth, Romans 10, 9, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. Have you confessed him as my Lord? Look at the verse. He is my refuge, my fortress, my God. The Lord, Psalm 23, is my shepherd. That's how you can claim the rest of the promises of Psalm 23. Is he your shepherd? Is he just the shepherd of somebody you know or of your mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, your uncle who's a minister? Or is he your God? You see, we need, to, we need to say it. And I'm wondering if, if maybe some of you have never said this out loud. You're my God. You're my shepherd. You're my Lord. You're my hope. It would be good to say it. And I think speaking the promises out loud has a power in and of itself. One writer says, said the first two verses of Psalm 91 are the voice of experience. Perhaps the seasoned believer saying, you are my refuge, you are my fortress, you are my God. Notice the end of verse two, in whom I trust. I'm going to trust you, Lord. In John 10, 27 and 28, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall ne never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Earlier in John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Not even that thief that tries to go into the sheep pen can snatch you out of his hand. He knows you. He loves you. And he says, trust me. And he wants you to say back to him, Lord, I do trust you. The Lord honors faith, verse 3. It is he who delivers, or surely he will save you, NIV, verse 3, Psalm 91, from the snare of the trapper. If you have a New King James ESV, it says the snare of the fowler. And from the deadly pestilence. This has the idea of plagues, epidemics, or deadly diseases. In verses 3 through 13, if you're looking to kind of map out the psalm, here is the encouragement for the novice or new believer. You need to know that it is he who delivers you from the snare of the fowler or the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. It's he who delivers you. This is what we need to understand. We need to look to him because he is a God of deliverance. And in times of trial, we have a couple different ways that we can go. We can let times of trial overwhelm us, and the enemy can then set traps for our feet, if you know what I'm saying. Like, well, does God really care about you? Why, why is this happening in the world? Maybe some things are happening to you. And the enemy sets a trap for you to stumble and maybe move away from that close relationship or even from your faith. That's happened to many people over the years. They've kind of walked away from their faith. But this is a time to cozy up to God. This is a time to say, Lord, you are my shelter. And if I've wandered away like that little chick wanders away from the mama bird or a sheep wanders from the shepherd, I'm coming back home. I'm not going to be ashamed. We have tough times for our country. We think about people who are on the front lines who are trying to help people who are sick. We think of the leaders trying to make good decisions and keep everything afloat and try to minister to those who are hurting. May the Lord be our deliverance. Psalm 68 verse 20 says, God is to us a God of deliverances. And to God the Lord belongs escapes from death. You know, the, the idea of deliver is really a synonym for salvation. The thing that God delivers us ultimately from is the power of sin and death. Not just temporary issues, but the biggest enemies that we face. He's a God of deliverance. He's a God that saves us from, the, the, uh, from sin, Satan, and death. Of all people, uh, this, this was shared by a king in Babylon, King Darius, 
after Daniel was delivered from the trap of the lion's den, King Darius decreed, I make a decree, Daniel 6, 26 and 27, that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed and his dominion will be forever. Daniel 6, 27 says, He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. The great song, Amazing Grace by Newton says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says that Jesus Christ saves us, delivers us from the wrath to come. We can, we can take great refuge knowing where we're headed, knowing that God's wrath is not coming to us. And this, in the ultimate sense, is a great application for us as believers. Verse 4 has the beautiful image of a mother bird. And it says, He, God, will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. If you have an ESV, it says his faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. These are metaphors. God is not a big mother bird. We all understand that, I hope. But the image is a beautiful one. In fact, I was uh, on the internet and I was kind of looking at images of a mother bird and her chicks, and there was a a mother hen in India who was uh, guarding her chicks from a pouring downpour. And someone, someone got footage of this, and the little chicks are underneath her wings, and the rain's coming down, and mama's taking the rain and protecting her little ones. There's an anecdotal, anecdotal story, and some people debate whether or not it's true, from Yellowstone Park, where there was a, a fire, a significant fire, and after the fire was put out, a park ranger saw a mother bird, a mother hen, that was burned from the fire. And as the story goes, he kicked the mother bird over, and as she fell over, her live chicks came running out from under her. She had taken the fire for her little ones that she loves. This is the image of Psalm 91, verse 4. He will cover you. It's a metaphor with his feathers, if you will, and under his wings, you may seek refuge. Notice, you got to seek it, but when you seek it, you'll find it. In Ruth chapter 2, Boaz said to Ruth, and your wages be full from the Lord, this is 2.12 of Ruth, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. I would encourage you, if you're not a believer right now, this is a time where God's arms are open. He has opened up his wings, to use the metaphor, and he's inviting you to come and find refuge underneath his wings. Many of you remember that Jesus used this image when he was crying over Jerusalem. And he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, in Luke 13, 34, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen, a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Listen, and you would not have it. NIV, Luke 13, 34, you were not willing. Jesus picking up the, the image of Psalm 91, 4. And this idea of the mother bird says, how often I invited you, how often I did miracles in your midst, how often I preached sermons of life, I opened the eyes of the blind, I invited you to come, I raised Lazarus from the tomb after four days, come, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Can I ask you brother, sister, friend, what more will it take for us to run to refuge? In him. Sometimes through times of difficulty, times of 
pouring rain or threatening fire, to use these metaphors, is when we realize how much we need God. Have you seen that our idols are on shaky ground? Many of the things that we take for granted, as much as I appreciate our world leaders and watch things that they're saying about the virus and about updates, you know, thinking about jobs and the economy, I look and I say, I respect the job that they're doing, but they're just people. They're people. We need something more than a man or a woman to save us. We need the God-man. Amen? We need the Lord. And when we do, we can have some encouragement here because verse 5 says, you will not be afraid of the terror by night. You know, there are things in the middle of the night, and we even call them night terrors. And some of you may wrestle with that. Maybe sometimes you wake up in a cold sweat. Maybe some of your kids have had night terrors before. It can be a scary thing. Sometimes you have a, a nightmare and it kind of freaks you out and it, and it seems really, really real and it, it, it can rattle you. But see, we don't have to be afraid of the terrors by night or of the arrow or violence that flies by day. You see, we have a shield of faith with which we can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the wicked one. This is when we need to take up that shield afresh. Because the arrows of doubt come at us. Or of the pestilence, verse 6, or disease that stalks in darkness. Or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Ephesians 2 says, Jesus is our peace. You see, when I put on the armor of God, I have a protective covering for my soul and my spirit. It's true that there's things that happen in, in this life, and we all go through the battles of life, but we have great encouragement here. A thousand, verse 7, may fall at your side, and 10,000, perhaps, speaking of a myriad, at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. Many say that the, this Psalm 91 is, great, uh, is best pictured in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll let you chew on that. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Listen to these words. This is Matthew 16, 26 and 27, and this is Jesus. And he said, For what will it a man be profited if he gains not a city block, not owns his own personal island or corporate jet, if a, man, if a man gains the whole world, if he owned it all, and forfeits his soul, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Ray Comfort likes to ask people, would you give me $10 million for your eyes? And the majority of people say, absolutely not. My eyes are precious to me. If I see the world through them. I wouldn't give you my eyes for $50 million or a billion dollars. Would you give me your soul? He follows it up for that price. And some people kind of laugh about it. Yeah, I'd give my soul. I'd sell my soul for that. But Jesus said, it wouldn't profit you if you gained the whole world and forfeited your soul. If you exchanged your soul for it all. For the Son of Man, this is verse 27, is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then recompense, reward every man according to his deeds. Jesus is coming again. Do you believe it? And he's going to recompense every man, every woman, according to their deeds. And here's the good news. If you're in Christ, your sins have been nailed to the cross. It is finished, paid in full. And you're going to be rewarded for the good things that you've done. Make sure you're in Christ. For you, verse 9, Psalm 91, have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. You've got to decide to make Him your Lord. He is Lord, but you have to ask Him to be your Lord, to be your King, to follow His kingdom. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near you. You know, I think we can stand on this promise and say, look, God is sovereign, Nothing is going to come into my life but 
that first goes through his sovereign love. So we need to qualify and say, if the Lord permits something to happen, of course, he's sovereign. We got to see the psalm in the horizon of the entire Bible. We know hard things happen to Job. Hard things happen to Joseph. Of course, that was all in God's plan. And Jesus Christ, God's own son, think of Job, Joseph, and Jesus. Jesus was crucified and he was totally innocent. See, we can take refuge in the psalm that I'm going to be here as long as God wants me to be here. And if God permits something sovereignly into my life, then he did it for a reason and I'm still going to trust him. Because some people wonder, well, are these promises categorical? Well, I think what we need to do is see them within the horizon of the entire New Testament and Old Testament. This is from Spurgeon and Spurgeon was 20 years old when he first ministered in London. Writers of the time say that the plague or cholera seemed to plague London almost every year and people would die and it was kind of an intestinal disorder and it was scary. And this is what Spurgeon says as we move into verses uh, 11 and 12. He says, before expounding these verses, I cannot refrain from recording a personal incident and illustrating their power to soothe the heart when they are applied by the Holy Spirit. In the year 1854, when I had scarcely been in London 12 months, he was about 20, the neighborhood in which I labored was visited by Asiatic cholera. My congregation suffered from its inroads. Family after family summoned me to the bedside of the smitten, and almost every day I was called to visit the grave. I gave myself with youthful ardor to the visitation of the sick and was sent from all corners of the district by persons of all ranks and religions. I became weary in body and sick at heart. My friends seemed falling one by one and I felt or fancied that I was sickening like those around me. A little more work and weeping would have me laid low among the rest. I felt that my burden was heavier than I could bear and I was ready to sink under it. As God would have it, I was returning mournfully home from a funeral when my curiosity led me to read a paper that was up in a shoemaker's window in the Dover Road. It did not look like a trade announcement, nor was it, for it bore in a good, bold handwriting these words. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling." The effect upon my heart, says Spurgeon, was immediate. Faith appropriated the passage as her own. I felt secure, refreshed, girt with immortality. I went on with my visitation of the dying in a calm and peaceful spirit. I felt no fear of evil. I suffered no harm. The providence which moved the tradesman to place those verses in his window, I gratefully acknowledge. And in the remembrance of its marvelous power, I adore the Lord my God. Have you ever had that happen to you before? Just in the moment where you need that word, that word comes. And on that promise, it's like another layer, layer of God's armor has been placed upon you and over your soul, and you can carry on and you can go forward in confidence. I will say to you, though, that Charles Spurgeon that I just quoted to you suffered from ill health for many years. He was tormented by gout, rheumatism, Bright's disease, a historical description of a range of kidney problems, and many of you know that Spurgeon suffered from despairing depression, and yet he carried on. He died at the age of 57, and he died of his last disease, but God sovereignly used those years that had been ordained for his life to preach the word of God. When Spurgeon died at 57, he had uh, an impact like few people over history. When he died in Mentone in Switzerland, more than 100,000 people lined the streets for the passing of his funeral cortege. Every shop along the route closed its doors out of respect for him. There were three days of services in his metropolitan tabernacle. One eyewitness wrote these words. 
It was, a, it was a wonderful and never-to-be-forgotten sight that passed through the London streets on Thursday, the 11th, February 1892. Nothing was seen for miles but bare heads, closed blinds, and universal signs of grief and sorrow. It was indeed a memorable scene. What a lesson that Bible-decked coffin preached to its tens of thousands as it passed through their midst. All classes, all creeds, all parties joined in their voice of mourning. The orphan children sang their last hymn to their beloved father as they bore out uh, out of their sight, for, he bore out of their sight forever. He helped so many people. He helped orphans. He preached the word on the Tuesday. More than 60,000 people passed through the chapel where Spurgeon's coffin lay in state. At the final service on Thursday, there was addresses by well-known uh, folks, but a sign of how widely Spurgeon was respected, the benediction was given by the Bishop of Rochester. Spurgeon was prone to depression throughout his life, but he did not fear death. He preached on dying often and spoke of the Christian's eternal hope. This is the last part. The best moment of a Christian's life is his last one, said Spurgeon, because it is the one that is nearest heaven. It is not a loss to die. It is a lasting perpetual gain. All the glories of midday are eclipsed by the marvels of sunset. And poignantly and aptly in his case, he who learns to die daily while he lives will find no difficulty to breathe out his last, breathe out his soul for his last, for the last time. You see, folks, God is sovereign over our lives and he, our times are in his hands. And you're going to be safe and secure until he decides to take you home. And even when he takes you home, you're going to truly be under the shelter of his wings. Amen? So as a Christian, we don't have to fear. I know there's a lot of things to be uh, maybe frazzled about right now, but my prayer is that you'll find your peace and refuge in him. A few more verses. Verse 11. He will give his angels, notice plural, angels charge concerning you. Some of you say, because I need more than one angel, right? <laughs> I've heard about a guardian angel, but I need plural angels, man, to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now, I won't have you turn there, but I will tell you, and for many of you, you, you you're already hearing this, that these verses... We're quoted in Matthew 4, and you can write down Luke 4, 5 through 7, by Satan to Jesus. In Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, as he went out and was tempted by the devil for 40 days, the angels were ministering to him, Mark 1, 13 and 14. Satan quoted Psalm 91. <laughs> but here's what he said. He said, if you're, since you're the Son of God, Throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple because it is written he will give you his angels charge over you. Literally, you could put it this way. So you won't even stub your toe. Go ahead and jump off. And the implication is God's not being true to his promises. Maybe he's not being true to Psalm 91, Jesus. And this may be more evidence that Psalm 91 is a messianic psalm about the Messiah. Throw yourself down because and then Satan quotes the Bible. Isn't Satan strategic? He can even quote the Bible. And maybe, maybe some of you are saying, yeah, but look at the world right now. And, and look at my own pain and, and sorrow. Maybe these promises aren't true. And Satan swoops in. But remember, Jesus responded. He said, Satan, you shall not put the Lord your God, remember, to the test. Jesus answered Satan's misapplication of Scripture, and maybe even a misquote, he left a part out, but he misapplied it. We don't test the Lord our God. Here's a big lesson, Bible students, Christian. Always take Scripture with Scripture so that you don't pull Scriptures out of context and end up testing the Lord. 
You see, we have precious and magnificent promises here, but we also have to see them within taking Scripture with Scripture. This is what exposition is all about. It's taking Scripture with Scripture, making sure that you take a Bible verse with another Bible verse and make sure you got it right so that you don't end up being like some of the brethren in our country who've handled snakes and said, oh, if the snake bites me, nothing will happen to me. End of Mark 16. No, you don't test the Lord. You don't do foolish things and then say, oh, Lord, get me out of it. There's a promise here about something like that. And Satan is strategic because he's coming to Jesus as if to say, you don't need to take the way of suffering. You don't need the cross. This is what we might call satanic exposition of the scriptures. We need to make sure we understand our Bibles, brethren. Because even in the last days, the Bible says that the Antichrist will come with false and lying signs and wonders. And if it were possible, he could even mislead the elect. Know your Bible. Test all things and hold fast to that which is true and good. Final verses. You will tread upon the lion and cobra. These are traditional uh, symbols of evil and danger. The young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Romans 16, 20 says, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And lastly, the last few verses are the voice of the Lord himself. So we've had the seasoned believer. Maybe these middle verses, 3 through 13, are encouragement to a younger believer to hang on, to seek shelter in the Lord. And these last few sweet verses are from God himself. As if God steps onto the stage to affirm what's been said. This is, you could say, divine frosting on the cake, if I could put it this way. He says, the Lord says, because, 14, he has loved me. ESV, he holds fast to me in love, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high to a place of safety, because he has known my name. He will call upon me. And I will answer him. I will be with him, notice, in trouble. And I will rescue and honor him. Notice, it's because you love the Lord. The Lord works all things together for good to those who love him. Jesus says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. Our lives are to love him. And when we love him and we're in relationship with him, that's when these promises we can say are ours, no matter what may come our way. Jesus, uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, the psalmist says, call upon me, the voice of the Lord here. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, call upon me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. A practical application is, First John says, if we say that we love God, then we should love our neighbor. And so our love will be borne out, of course, in our actions. Final verse. 16, with a long life I will satisfy him. In the Lord you'll find contentment, true satisfaction. And let him behold my salvation. You know, there's this idea in this psalm that we're going to see God in the judgment day, maybe see what happens to those who don't know him but we're also going to behold his salvation. The word for salvation at the end of this psalm is interesting. It's the word Yeshua. It's the name Jesus. And one day we're going to see Jesus face to face. And right now, we haven't seen him, but we love him. Simeon, when he got to hold Jesus, remember in Luke 2 in the temple, he says, Now I can die in peace, for my eyes have seen, I've beheld thy salvation. When the folks in the New Testament heard Jesus preach and saw him, they beheld God's salvation, Yeshua. And this promise of long life is a promise that was given to Old Testament saints for obedience to the law. And I don't know how long each of us are going to live. That's in God's sovereign hands. But I know we can live well. We can spend our days living for what really matters. 
Psalm 23, verse 6 says, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're going to be there forever. God has been really good to us. A final quote from Spurgeon. With long life I will satisfy him. The man described in this psalm fills out the measure of his days. Whether he dies young or old, he is quite satisfied with life. Can't help but think of Jim Elliot. And is content to leave it. He shall rise from life's banquet as a man who has had enough and would not have more even if he could. And show him my salvation. The full sight of divine grace shall be his closing vision. He shall look from Amana and Lebanon, not with destruction before him black as night, but with salvation bright as noonday. Smiling upon him, he shall enter into his rest. Underneath us are the everlasting arms. And one day, we're going to be at his feet. I don't know if I'm going to dance. I don't know if I'll be able to even say anything. But I'm going to see my salvation, my Jesus. My Jesus, my Savior, there's none like you. As we close uh, today, I know I'm speaking to a lot of believers as we've studied Psalm 91, but I also want to encourage you, if you're not sure that you found shelter underneath his everlasting arms, if you're not sure that you found that place of true peace in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, he's a prayer away. But he wants you to make him your Lord, your King, your Savior, your God. And his arms are open, and he bids you to come, but you must come. Would you come? Would you join me in prayer? If you're not a Christian, something like this, a decision that you make, Lord Jesus, would you save me? I'm going to run for refuge to you. Thank you for dying on that cross for me. Thank you for rising and defeating death. Thank you for being at the right hand of the Father. Thank you for drawing me to yourself. I confess you. I'm going to speak it out loud. You're my Lord, my Savior, my God, and my King. Save me. If you're a prodigal, you've been a straying sheep or a wandering little chick or bird, and you've wandered from the place of safety, come back home. He'll, he'll invite you back. He's, the story of the prodigal comes to mind, man. He, he'll say, I'm, I'm going I'm to throw a party. There's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. And if you're a saint and you're going through some tough times, I pray that you'll be spending some time in Psalm 91, finding refuge and strength there, and finding hope and peace. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the technology that's allowed us to uh, broadcast the hope and truth of the gospel to all people. I pray that you would bring your healing waters upon this land, upon this world, upon your church as we turn to you afresh, O oh God. Have mercy. I pray that you would lift these times soon as we look forward to uh, Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday morning. <laughs> we know that you rose in the darkest of times to defeat death. We know that you're a God who defeats the grave and even when it looked the most glum and the most difficult and dark, your light shone through that tomb and the rock was rolled away and you arose victorious just as you said you would. Oh God, as we look forward to Resurrection Sunday, may you bring resurrection power, renewal to our land, to our churches, to our hearts. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. We love you.